Good morning. My name is Mike. Um, I'm one of the elders here at Pillar Jacksonville. Today we're continuing our series in the book of Judges, and we find ourselves uh, in Judges chapter 2 and continuing into Judges chapter 3 up until verse 6, so uh, a little bit more than, than a, a single chapter. The title of my sermon, as you can see, is What Legacy Will You Leave? Before we get into that, last week, Eddie challenged us with a message about obedience. And partial obedience, Eddie told us, reminded us, partial obedience is not obedience. When Judah and Caleb uh, were obedient to God, God provided victory for them. However, when the Benjamites were starting to make treaties with the inhabitants and failed to drive them out, God was not obeyed and God punished. Today's sermon, again, is titled, what, what Legacy Will You Leave? And as I pondered on it, I thought a little bit about, well, what do I even, I don't want to confuse this with what, what a legend is and what a legacy is, because while there may be some overlap, they're, they're really two different things. So how do I help explain what that is? So as I pondered on it, I, I thought about, actually, I thought about uh, Michael, Michael Jordan. I think, is there, I, I think I'd be far, I mean, just about everybody here has heard of, of Michael Jordan. I, I think it'd be a small percentage of people who would not have heard of them, or heard of him, excuse me. Right now, Michael Jordan, uh, arguably, some would say, best basketball player ever. Now, not everybody may say that, but, but many would say best basket, basketball player ever. He's a legend on the basketball court. Right? But did he leave a legacy? You know, Michael has, has five children. Um, did he leave a legacy as far as the basketball court goes? He has five children, three older ones and two younger ones. The two younger ones are twins. And while his, his older boys played some college ball, that was the end of it. They did not go pro. So none of his children have gone pro. So Michael, on the basketball court, I'd say is a legend. But did he leave a legacy? Now, then there's Archie Manning who you may or may not have heard from. I expect most of you probably have not heard of Archie Manning, but maybe you have. He's not as well known. Archie Manning played uh, for a number of years, I think 13 years uh, in the NFL, um, mostly for the, uh, New Orleans, and um, great quarterback, uh, great quarterback. I played for a couple of teams as well, but primarily in, in New Orleans. And, but Archie had three sons. He had his older son, Cooper, uh, and then he had Eli, and he had, well, he had Peyton and then Eli. So we got Archie, had Cooper, um, Peyton, and Eli. Okay. So Archie uh, played professional football. His son Cooper played football in um, <clears throat> high school, but his senior year, before his senior year, he was uh, diagnosed with spinal stenosis. So that just ended his football career. So Cooper did not go any further. However, Peyton went on to be a pretty rock solid uh, football player, right? Played for University of Tennessee. Then he went on uh, and he played, I think, uh, 18 years total, a couple of Super Bowl rings. And then his brother Eli, 16 years in the NFL and a couple of Super Bowl rings. And that's pretty cool. Cooper didn't make it. However, right now, Cooper's oldest son, his name is Arch, is the number one ranked 
um, high school football quarterback going into the 2023 season. He's actually already just signed for a college team. So we've got Archie, we've got his three sons, and then the next generation of quarterback as well. So did Arch leave a legacy as he passed on what he had down to the future generations? And I think, I think that just really helps personify what we're trying to talk about here. That has been passed down through generations, three of them so far. Who knows where it continues? So the main idea in, in Judges, the big picture, uh, Brian introduced it a couple weeks ago. Um, in the midst of our sinful idolatry, trust God's covenant and faithfulness for eternal redemption. That's the big picture from Judges that we want to, in the midst of our sinful idolatry, that's ours, we own it, trust God's covenant faithfulness for eternal redemption. So turn with me, if you would, please, in Judges. Let's go to chapter 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible, again, there's one should be in the seat back in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at all, I'd ask you just go ahead and take that home. Just have that for yours to keep. Uh, it would be our gift to you. So as we read in Judges chapter 2. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you into the land I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called on the name, <clears throat> and they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him with the boundaries of his within the boundaries of his inheritance in Tenmathers, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash, and all that generations also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went out after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to the plunderers. Who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand 
of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. When the Lord raised up judges who had saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them, yet they did not listen to the judges, for they whored after other gods, and they bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moving to pity with their groaning because of those afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they take care to walk in the way of the Lord, as their fathers did, or not. So the Lord left these nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hands of Joshua. Now these were the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of people of Israel might know war to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebo Hamath. Therefore, for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commands of the Lord, which commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and their daughters took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Pray with me. Father God, Father, you have given us the scriptures to teach us, to rebuke us, that we might know you. Father, that we too could be tested at times. Father, I pray that you just be with us today, that you just uh, be with me, Father, as I, as I present and I, and I take apart the lessons you have given us here in the scriptures that we may accurately reflect the meaning of them that they've been preserved for so many years. Father, I pray you be with us. I thank you for who you are. We remember who you are and just pray that all we do and say is in glory to you. Amen. So in today's sermon, we're going to have five bullet points. A little bit more than we typically do, but some of them are quick uh, bullet points. The first bullet point that we're going to come across is we need to remember what God has done. So we need to remember what God has done. You know, here in the opening paragraph of chapter 2, we read, An angel of the Lord came from Gilgal 
and reminds Israel of what God has done. So I have to start asking myself, well, what did God do? Well, he led them out of Egypt. He brought them into the promised land. And then I asked myself, but, but what did that really look like? Was that just kind of an easy trip? And of course, the answer to that is, is no. Did Moses bring them into the promised land? Nope, that didn't happen either. Why not? Why didn't Moses bring them into the promised land? And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 32 that God tells Moses, because he broke faith with him, it did not treat me as holy in the midst of Israel. I will allow you to see the land, but you will not go in it. Wow. That's a 40-year journey. Then you just stop short, and you can just taste it right on the other side. But why wasn't he allowed to do it? He didn't obey. He didn't obey not only himself, but he didn't obey and show that faithfulness in front of all Israel. Sorry. <clears throat> you know, how did then Israel get into the promised land? And of course, it was through Joshua. And we read about that in, um, in Joshua chapters 3 and 4, how they actually crossed over to the river. And then we can read about that, and we'll reflect on that in just a little bit. But it's interesting, the next chapter, chapter 5, Scripture tells us that when the kings of the Amorites and the Canaanites heard what the Lord had done, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them. So when these others heard what God did, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit within them. So what has God done? Do we reflect on that? Do we reflect on what God has done? And when we hear about it, what is our reaction? Do we stand in awe of what God has done? Or do we simply acknowledge it and move on without giving it much thought? Right? It's like the song Amazing Grace. When we hear the song Amazing Grace, do we just sing it? Or do we really stand and think about the amazing grace God has given us, or the grace we've seen he's given other people. We all have very, very busy lives, and perhaps sometimes too busy. Do we take the time in our lives to reflect on what God has done, whether we've read, it, read about it or experienced it, and do we use this time to stand in awe of what God has done? When the Amorites and the Canaanites heard what God has done, as recorded in Joshua 5, their hearts melted. Hopefully our hearts have the exact opposite, right? That we are filled with joy of the power of God. Are you finding some quiet time each day to turn to God? And are you reflecting on him during this time? Not just on what he has done for you, and not just on what you want him to do, but on what he has done During this time, you know, when we're reflecting on who God is and what he's done, can we block out the rest of the world? Can we just really find that quiet place and keep our minds focused on God, on what he has done, and then can we stand in awe of what he has done? And that leads us into our, in our second bullet point, which is we need to remember as we're reflecting on what God has done, we have to remember what God has said. So the second point is we need to remember 
what God has said. As we continue our reading here in Judges, the angel of the Lord brought charges against Israel. What did the angel of the Lord say at the beginning there? He said, God said, I will never break my covenant with you. You will make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You will break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you've done? You know, I'm going to get ahead of myself just for a second, and I want to take a look. When the angel of the Lord made these accusations, what was the reaction of Israel? I mean, we can read about it right there. As soon as this happened, the people lifted their voices and wept, and they sacrificed to the Lord there. That's good. That's very good. They looked. They had some sorrow. They wept. They offered sacrifice. But let's sit back for a second. The angel Lord made these accusations, but he also said, because you have not obeyed my voice, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. And this is why I had Josiah and Megan read chapter 23 of, of Joshua. So is the reaction of Israel, do they feel bad because of what they've done, or do they feel bad because they got caught and they know that they're going to be punished for their sin? We'll come back to this thought, but I already asked, what was the reaction to the accusations? What didn't they do? So we're going to just put that in a parking lot. What didn't they do? So our next point is, we need to teach our children, and we need to teach our children to teach their children. Right? We've got to keep that legacy going. You know, think about how I started this legacy. You know, or this, this sermon, excuse me. Are we leaving that legacy? Are we, as we continue to read in Judges chapter 2, and we're once again reminded of the death of Joshua. So in verses 6 and 7 of Judges, it says a little bit more insight, right? We're, we've visited this now. This is the third week that we're visiting the death of Joshua. The overview of Judges. Last week, Eddie brought it up in his sermon on Judges chapter 1. And now we're reminded of this again. But why? Why are we seeing this again? And it gives us a little bit more insight as to what's going on. So as we read in Judges chapter 2, when Judge Joshua dismissed the people of Israel, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. That's a beautiful picture. We have people obeying, and we have God following through on his covenant. That is the perfect picture. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, but it didn't stop with Joshua. They continued to serve the Lord all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the, that, um, the Lord had done for Israel. Israel's in a very good spot right now. God is being glorified. Life is good for Israel, and it doesn't get any better than that. Wouldn't it be great if we just ended the sermon here? Let's just leave on a high. Let's just... Let's just stop at that point. And there's two problems with that. I'd get into a lot of trouble, man. I just joined the elder board, and this would be like the shortest sermon ever at Pillar, right? I, would, I can't deal with the heat on that. 
But scripture, really, we got to look at scripture to see what does scripture say? The text continues and gives us a little bit more to digest from this. Verse 10 says, and all that the generations also gathered to their fathers, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. How did this happen? How did we go from, we're going to stand in awe of what God has done, to, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done from Israel. Did someone not get a memo here? Something's missing here. You know, I read an article this past week as I was getting ready for my sermon, and it said the number of Americans who believe in God is at a historic low. That's us. The number of Americans who believe in God is at a historic low. How can that be? You know, as you remember, you know, as you recall, I hope, we're just coming off our study of John. And in the book of John, chapter 20, we read this story. You know, Jesus comes in and he back to the disciples. They're locked in the upper room. And they see him, except Thomas is not there, right? What's Thomas's legacy, right? There's that doubting Thomas thing, right? And Thomas, of course, just a quick reflection. He says, unless I see in his hands the marks of nails, and unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. In other words, he would not believe unless he saw. And actually, he wanted more. He wanted to not just see Jesus, but to experience touching him. And of course, Jesus shows up and says, here you go, buddy. Touch. Right? God comes through with that. So now bringing that back into where we are, let's go to the beginning. You know, Judges chapter 2 starts with an angel of the Lord came from where? And it's Gilgal. And what do we know about Gilgal? Actually, uh, we read in Joshua chapter 4, right? Joshua, the ark is with him. They cross the Jordan. And then Joshua, God says to Joshua, read about it, and says, when your children, excuse me, it says, when all the nations finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men, one from each tribe, and have them take 12 stones from the Jordan and lay them down in the place where you are tonight. They were in Gilgal. That's where they were. The 12 stones were to be placed there. Why? Well, we continue, and it says, when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel as a memorial forever. The stones were left there for what reason? To teach their children. To teach their children what they were there for. Now, I don't know if you can still take your children to see these 12 stones, but what can you do? 
You can teach your children to experience God. Thomas would not believe until he experienced God himself or Jesus returning himself. Let your children see you stand in awe of God. Let them see you humble yourself before God. Let them see you depend on God. Let them see what this looks like. It's not just about them seeing you go to church on Sunday. That's important, but day in and day out, we must keep God holy. Remember what happened to Moses. He did not keep God holy in front of Israel. We need to keep God holy in front of our children. We also need to teach our children that they must teach this to their children. Generation after generation, they didn't know. So it's not just about teaching our children. It's about teaching our children to teach their children. What happens if we do not do this? And that brings us to our next bullet point. We will be held accountable for our choices. We will be held accountable for our choices. Moses was held accountable, right? He got to the edge, but he didn't pass over. So let's go back. When the angel of the Lord called out, to Israel, called out Israel for their sins, they wept and they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And it was a very touching moment. But what didn't they do? What didn't they do? They didn't repent. And the scripture takes us there next. The next verses will help us to see as we look in verse 11, while Israel had this moment of sorrow when they were called out on their sin and they wept and offered sacrifices, but what happened next? Monday came, and they went back to work. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. We see in verse 12, it says, They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. You know, Brian alluded, this to, alluded to this in his sermon a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, none of us are going to serve the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and we can even think, why, why would Israel even want to serve them? I mean, who are they? Who are the Baals and the Ashtaroth? That's who Israel is serving. Well, the Baals are false gods. They are local fertility gods, and local nature gods. Okay, local fertility gods. What is that implying here? The Canaanites worshiped them for their fertility and for other things like rain to grow and the crops and the wind. Wait a minute. Those, the crop, the wind and the rain, we know that those are creations of the one true God, but they're giving credit elsewhere. The Ashtaroth, was said, the Ashtaroth was said to be the queen of heaven to whom the Canaanites burned offerings and poured libations. It's from Jeremy chapter 44. Astarte, who was part of the Ashtaroth, was the goddess of war and sexual love and shared so many qualities with her sister Anath that together they are considered the Ashtaroth. 
and seen as a single deity. So keep in mind again the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before me. But what was enticing them? Israel was getting caught up in the world around them. The people around them were worshiping gods of sex and turning to those other gods for their daily needs. Where are we seeking guidance from sex from? Are we seeking it from God or the Internet, from men's health or cosmopolitan? Where are we turning for our daily sustenance? Are we saying, give us this day, Lord, our daily bread? But why would they do this? Why, why would they do this? God is not giving us what we want or what we see our neighbors have, and we start to covet that, and we want to start doing what they do to get what they have. We have to remember what God has done. We have to remember what God has said. So interestingly, in verse 14, it says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to their plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. All right, they didn't know how to fight. And as I'm reading that, he gave them over to they're plunderers. He just gave up. He didn't give up on them, if you will. He, but he gave them over. And I'm reminded of what I read about in Romans chapter 1. All right, chapter 1, just a quick summary from Romans. Paul writes, you know, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God gave them up to a debased mind. And it's the same thing. It's like, you know what? If that's the road you truly want to go to, I'm going to let you go down that road. But what was God's response to all of this in Judges? As we continue to read in chapter 2, we see this continual spiraling and rebounding from Israel. Israel would deal with the consequences of their sins, and then they would cry out. They'd cry out to God, and God would raise up a judge for them who would rescue them, and God would be with the judge. But what would Israel do? Well, verse 17 tells us, Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. Wow. Wow. They whored after other gods. That's strong language. We continue to read, they would be sorrowful for a bit, and God would send a new judge. But as soon as that judge died, they turned back and were even more corrupt than their fathers. Toward the end of verse 19, one of the key verses to help us understand what was happening they did not drop their practices or their stubborn ways. They felt bad for what happens. They hated the punishment. They cried out to God. They offered sacrifices to God. But what didn't they do? They didn't repent. They didn't turn away from the cause to begin with. How do you feel about your sin? Now it gets personal. Do you cry out to God for forgiveness and ask you him to rescue you, but you never really let go of your sin? What was it that Eddie said last week? 
Partial obedience is not obedience. We need full obedience. Is there a sin that you truly need to repent from? My friends, you cannot do this in and of yourself. You don't have the strength to do it. And this is where we need to ask God to help us from our sin, to rescue us. But at what cost? Are you willing to confess your sin to God? I expect you did that, but you're not letting go of it. Are you asking to God to show you your sin? Saying, hey, I think I'm clean. But are you asking God really to open your eyes to any sin you may have? If you've been trying to overcome some sin but are having a hard time and you continually fail, are you ready to humble yourself before a Christian brother or sister and ask them? Maybe God put them in your life to help you through this battle. Let's back up a little bit more from that, though, right? There's the assumption that you have turned to God at some point in your life. But is there a time in your life when your eyes were opened to God and you realized that you needed a savior, a rescuer, that you had sinned and were falling short? Is there a time in your life where you said, I'm tired of doing it my way. I surrender to you, God. I need to be rescued. I need to be rescued from this life. And I need to be rescued for eternal life. Is there a time in your life when you've done that? If there is, good. But understand that repenting is a daily mindset. Every day we are to look at ourselves in our quiet time. God, show me my sin. Help me to repent from that. If there's not a time that you've done that, then I would ask you, please come and see myself uh, after the service or anybody you've seen up on stage here or uh, we've got others in the room that can kind of help you. What does that look like? What does it look like for me to do that? So again, repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a daily mindset. And if you think you can overcome sin on your own, you're going to be challenged with that. You may need the help of God. You will need the help of God or perhaps someone that God's put in your path. But you have to be willing to let go of the sin. And this brings us to our next point, though. What if I do all of those things? Our last point is God will test us. He will test us. Like, did you really let go of that sin, Mike? Did you really let go? What if I do this? What if I do this? Are you letting go of that sin? In the beginning of chapter 3, it starts with, now these are the nations that the Lord left. And we're going to look at these verses kind of together. They, they're very powerful in and of themselves. But, but let's, let's look at the big picture in verses 1 through 6. Why did he leave these nations there? To teach and to test Israel. Verse 2 tells us it was only in, oration, it was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war to those who had not known it before. Right? We saw God's amazing attributes. We saw God's amazement, standing in awe of God, because the victories that he helped Israel have, sometimes before they even went into battle, as we read about in Joshua. We, keep in, in, we have to keep in mind, how did Israel know God's mightiness? He provided for them daily. He provided victory for them in battle. So what's God's plan now here in Scripture and Judges? To teach war to them because they did not know battle so that they could see to 
his mighty hand. Remember what we read above. These are the generations that did not know God. They did not know what God had